In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Praise Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so just to recap, last week um, we uh, just introduced the life of St. Paul, a little bit of the ancient world that St. Paul was living in, um, a little, just a little bit about the history of the Old Testament and the overview for how we're going to approach this. Okay, And uh, probably the most important thing to know about that, as I, as I already mentioned, is that the approach to this is known as biblical thematics. And biblical thematics uh, looks at the main message of each letter, okay, of each scripture passage, and selects passages that help uh, flesh out that main message, the point of which is so that when you walk away from this, uh, maybe with a little bit of refresher study, just a little bit of background study, my hope is you can hear... St. Paul read from the pulpit and you can know what he's talking about because you know the, the main message, you know the background of the letter. That's my hope. Okay? And of course all this is ordered towards Christian discipleship. Because if it doesn't make us better Christians, what's the point? Okay? It's just esoteric knowledge on the par with anything else out there. Okay? So we're, we're trying to learn for the purpose of, of loving better. Okay, now, what we're going to go over today, we're going to go over Paul's letters to the Thessalonians. First and second Thessalonians. And I said the main theme for Thessalonians is hope. Okay, that's our theme. Thessalonians, hope. Now, you've heard these letters your whole life. Chances are. And you sat there in the pews and you've heard a reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Thessalonians. And I, and I don't know if you've ever stopped to ask yourself, well, who the heck are the Thessalonians? You know, maybe you've stopped and asked yourself, what is this all about? Who is he writing to and why? Um, you can just pull up a chair. Just yeah, casual. Um, who is he writing to and why? Okay? What, 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 is it, what is this really all about? And that's what I'd like to tell you the story of Thessalonians today. Now, when we hear Thessalonians, keep this in mind. You're hearing the oldest writing in the New Testament. The first thing ever put pen to paper in the New Testament was Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. Right? And the date for that was about 51 AD. Okay? Now, the second Thessalonians, the date, probably 52 to 54 AD. We're not entirely sure. And you may ask yourself the question, uh, you know, how exactly do they know the dates for these things? It's not like they come with a, a time stamp on them. How exactly do you know the the dates for these things? You know the dates for these things by internal evidence, and you know the dates for these things by cross-references with other passages of Scripture. Like if you have my little book, it'll give you the backstory uh, with with Paul from from Acts of the Apostles, and it'll tell you in Acts chapter 18 that when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, here's my little map. Can you all make sense of this map here? Okay. Uh, this is water, this is land. You just kind of have to... Now, this is low-tech here, all right? So, you guys you guys, good enough at geography, you recognize where this basically is? 
Thank you. Okay, good. You, know, you occasionally hear these people, they say, they, you know, you know, 15% of Americans can't locate the United States on a map or something like that. If you don't know that, you're not going to have much luck with the Aegean Sea. <laughs> so anyway, uh, in the ancient world, this region of Greece was known as Achaia. Okay? And so when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, Paul first visited Corinth. Okay? So we know when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia. It was 51 to 52 AD. And we know from the story of what happened when Paul wrote his letters soon after he arrived in Corinth. So we can put a date on this letter of about 51 and no later than 52 AD because of that little internal evidence. Okay, So that tells us this is the oldest writing in the New Testament. Now remember I also said last week, Paul, he went on these missionary journeys. He went on three missionary journeys, and they're in your book. Okay, little maps where he went. First missionary journey, right? He went on all these places. He wrote nothing. Second missionary journey... Well, I'm not going to go over everything I said last week, but we're on our second missionary journey, all right? Paul's on his second missionary journey. After Paul is converted, he takes a number of trips, these missionary journeys. They're four years long. They're five years long. They're three years long. Three big trips, three missionary journeys. And now let's take a look at Paul's second missionary journey, all right? Uh, the year is 51, 52 A.D., thereabouts, okay? And this is where Paul's going, Paul, okay, he's going uh, uh, to Antioch, and I've got these things numbered right here. Here's Antioch. Uh, he goes to uh, uh, Derby. he goes to Lystra, he goes to Iconium, all these little towns that he visited before in his first missionary journey. And he's, uh, he's, he picks up uh, Timothy in Derby, all right, and he thinks he's going to go down to uh, Phrygia, he's going to go up to Bithynia. But something inside him tells him, he writes, keep going, keep going, press on, press on. So he doesn't go down, he goes outwards. He comes to this little town called Troas. Here's Paul's second missionary journey. And there in Troas, he has a dream. And in his dream, there's a man from Macedonia who says, come over here and help us. Now here's Macedonia. Macedonia uh, is a region, and now it's a region of Greece. Uh, there's actually a separate country called Macedonia. Okay, that makes all the people in Greece angry because they say Macedonia is part of Greece. It would be like you know a part of Canada breaking away from I don't know um, Ontario, and they, they call themselves New York. Well, people in New York might not like that very much. Anyway, that's what happened. But anyway, because of over here and help us. So Paul presses on, okay, and he goes from Troas to Neapolis to Philippi. Okay, and you can still go to these places. I've actually been to these places myself. I took a really fantastic trip. Now, as Paul's going along here, I'm just going to give you a little thought that might might have been going through his mind. He might have imagined himself to be kind of like a spiritual Alexander the Great at this time. Because he's going from one Alexander the Great place to the next. Okay, he comes from Troas, which was, the real name was Troas of Alexandria, named for Alexander the Great, into Macedonia, which was Alexander's original kingdom, through Philippi, named for Alexander's father, Philip of Macedon, and down into Thessalonica, which was named for Alexander's half-sister. Now, Alexander the Great, like I mentioned last week, okay, he thought of himself as a messiah. 
And he really was unusual. I mean, nobody else in history had been able to conquer so much land so fast. And he conquered all this land all the way out to Afghanistan by the time he was 23 years old. And his dream was unite the whole world under one culture. And he might have done it. Except that he died. Okay? And he thought, you know, I'm going to unite the whole world together. I'm going to unite East and West, Alexander said. I'm going to bring peace. And now you've got to wonder, was Paul thinking, I'm following in the footsteps of Alexander, and I'm going to unite the world. I'm just going to unite it for Christ. Just speculation. You know, sometimes I, do, I like to speculate about, speculate about these things. So when I, Paul, Paul goes to Neapolis. It's still there. Okay, It's a lovely town by the sea. You can stop and you can get a cup of coffee by the... By, by, by the port, okay? And he presses on from Neapolis up into Philippi. Now, Philippi is nothing but ruins now. You go to Philippi, there's nothing but broken columns. Um, and it's here at Philippi that history's made. This is the first time that anyone in Europe ever was converted to the gospel. He goes up to Philippi and he meets a woman and he baptizes her. Anybody know the woman's name? Lydia. Okay, her name is Lydia. Now, Lydia, uh, she's the very first person that ever received the gospel in all of Europe, the very first non Jew to ever embrace the gospel. And it's really the beginning of, well, the whole history changes because of what Paul does up here. Now, Lydia, she must have been a pretty wealthy person. Okay, she said she was a dealer in purple goods. Everybody knows where purple dye comes from, right? The Far East. Where's the road? that brings it to the Roman Empire, passes right through Philippi. So if she's a dealer in purple goods, you could almost be like, you say, well, she's a dealer in platinum. She's a dealer in gold. Yeah, she, she was probably pretty well off. And uh, so Paul's traveling along. He's got Silas, his companion, and he goes down to Philippi, and uh, he, he, he begins to make quite a name for himself. I remember I said last week how, how charismatic Paul must have been because he had these crowds that followed him ruckuses whenever he would preach. I mean, it took 200 armed guards to keep people from, from attacking him by the time he was back in Jerusalem. Okay, so Paul's walking through town, okay, and some woman starts following him. Some possessed, freaked out woman starts following Paul and Silas. And she walks around saying, Slaves of the Most High God! Slaves of the Most High God! Slaves of the Most High God! Slaves over and over and over! Slaves of the Most High God! For days! And Paul gets sick of it. Okay? And Paul turns around and he does a quick exorcism on this, on this woman, right there on the spot. In the name of Jesus Christ, be driven out from her. And it works. She shuts up. Okay? Now this gets Paul in trouble. What I'm doing here right now, I'm narrating you the story of how we got Paul's letters to the Thessalonians. But this is all back now, Okay? But this gets Paul in trouble because this woman was a cash cow for people who, I guess, kind of owned her. Okay, she was like some kind of uh, uh, fortune teller. You know, like some kind of ancient psychic friends network or <laughs> biblical era Shirley MacLaine or something like that. But anyway, they were very, very upset because now she's... she's, she's uh, um, the, the, the spirit's been driven out of her. She's not a fortune teller anymore. And uh, so for anybody who comes in, maybe you could just stay right there by the door. It'd just, it just be helpful. Not that that matters now. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see, where was I? 
Shirley MacLaine. She was a, she, she was a, she was a biblical era Shirley MacLaine. Anyway, these people who had this biblical era Shirley MacLaine, they were very well connected. And they drag Paul and Silas before the magistrates in Philippi, and they say, these men, Paul and Silas and Timothy, they're causing a disturbance. And they're preaching against Caesar, and they're preaching against our Roman traditions. And Paul and Silas and Timothy get beaten with rods, and they get thrown in jail for the night. Okay? Now, I've actually seen this jail. It's just a cave. It's a cave with bars on it. But, hey, it functioned as a jail. And you might have heard this scripture passage before because it's frequently read. You ever heard the scripture passage of Paul and Silas and Timothy and they're in jail and there's an earthquake? You heard this before? Who's heard this before? Okay, so it's pretty well known. It's an earthquake and, and they get set free. Well, they get set free from jail. Boy, I bet you they ran right out of town and saved their tails, right? Not, not a chance. You want to know why? Because Paul had a little axe to grind. Okay, Paul shouldn't have been thrown in jail. So the next next morning, Paul, he's still around town. He hadn't left. And uh, the people, they say, oh, yeah, Paul, we were going to let you go. We were, it was all a big misunderstanding. He goes, oh, you were going to let me go, were you? Hmm. Do you have any idea who I am? I'm a Roman citizen. Remember I said last week about Roman citizens? The Roman citizens they had special privileges. They had certain prestige in the empire, right? They couldn't be crucified... They had a right to trial before the emperor. And they had one more right. You couldn't physically beat a Roman citizen without first giving him due process. You had to give him a trial. Right? If you broke the promises given to a Roman citizen, the punishment under the law was loss of office. So all these magistrates know that they're in trouble because of what they did to Paul. Okay, So, what do they do to Paul? They just push him out of town. They, that's, that's how they solve their problem. They don't sit around and wait for their just desserts. They just push him out of town. Okay, So Paul gets pushed out of town and Paul goes to the next town over which is Thessalonica. Okay, now this is how Paul comes to Thessalonica. Now Thessalonica was one of the most important cities in the whole world at that time. Thessalonica was a city of 200,000 people in Paul's time. All right? Population of Thessalonica today, 377,000. 2,000 years later, hey, that was a very, very important town. Why was it such an important town? Trade. It was on the Via Ignatia. That was the name of the road that connected Rome with Byzantium, okay, and Byzantium with the east. But Thessalonica was a huge port town. So it's on the road, it's on the port, it's a huge economic town. All these people gathering in Thessalonica. And, you know, it's entirely possible that when Paul brought Christianity to Thessalonica, he established uh, something that allowed Christianity to spread throughout the world, throughout the empire. Remember what I said last week about the, uh, uh, the preparatio evangelii, how all these roads, all these networks, God was working through that stuff. Okay? Paul brings Christianity to Thessalonica. He, he sets up uh, the future of the faith by establishing it in this very, very important city. So Paul shows up at Thessalonica. What's the first thing Paul does? Goes to the synagogue. That's what Paul does. He goes to the synagogue in Thessalonica. And he begins to preach. 
he begins to preach in the synagogue of Thessalonica that Jesus is the Messiah, the Old Testament prophecies have been fulfilled, mankind has been redeemed by his passion, his death and resurrection, and Paul is amazingly successful. Paul's only there for three weeks. He's living in the house of somebody named Jason. Paul's only there for three weeks, and he must have been so successful that he got a lot of people jealous. Because after three weeks of preaching, people run him out of town. Rabbis run him out of town. And well-connected Gentiles run him out of town. Because you know this business of changing your whole life and converting your religion? Hey, if you, connect, if you, if you change the minds and hearts of some well-placed and important people, you really rock the boat. Okay, so Paul rocked the boat. Paul is... Uh, Paul is there. It's the exact same thing that happens in Philippi. They say, this Paul, he's causing great disturbance. He's preaching against our ancestors and against Caesar and against our Roman traditions. And he gets driven out of town again. And this time he gets driven out of town. There's a little place called Berea. Okay? Berea, it's, just, it's not a very important place. He stays there for a little while. He, he, he does some work there. He preaches there. And word gets out that Paul's in Berea. So they chase him. To, they chase him. Now Paul runs away. Okay, for his own safety. Silas and Timothy get left behind. Paul runs away from Berea. He goes down to Athens. He goes down to Corinth. Okay. Now, Paul's, uh, Paul's, down in, Paul's down in Athens. Paul's down in Corinth. And he'd just gotten started teaching the faith in Thessalonica. He's only there for three short weeks. And that means two things. Okay, number one, the time that he'd meant to teach these people was cut short. Artificially cut short. And secondly... Their situation in Thessalonica, it's just gotten worse. Because now, they're all under persecution. Because Paul, you know, he upset the apple cart. So, so now this cut short, and Paul is worried about how things are going. Silas and Timothy, they come down, and Paul sends Timothy back up to Thessalonica. Okay? And, he, and he wants to know, uh, you know, how are things going? Can anything good have possibly been done in three weeks' time? Why don't you go back up to Thessalonica, see if you can finish the job. Uh, you know, there's a bounty on my head, but you might be able to slip unnoticed under the radar. Timothy comes back from Thessalonica, okay? And he comes back to Corinth and he says, everything's going great. Everything's going great. Hey, they're still being harassed. Okay, they're still being persecuted. But other than that, everything's going great. But they've got a couple of questions, up in Thessalonica. they got a couple of questions. Two questions they have. Number one, what's going to happen to us after we die? And number two, what is this second coming of Jesus Christ all about? Two questions. What's going to happen to us after we die? And number two, what's this second coming of Jesus Christ all about? And so to answer their questions, Paul writes a letter. And this is how the New Testament was born. The very first time anyone writes anything was Paul writing to explain the circumstance to these uh, to, to these Thessalonians. Okay. Now here's a brief summary of the letter uh, in two main parts. Okay. Paul's personal reflections for the Thessalonians, chapters one to three. Second main part, Paul's instructions for the Thessalonians, and the main messages of Thessalonians here. He gives thanks for the success of their faith. He defends his good name against those who were accusing him. They were saying he was working for his own personal good. He was trying to advance his own fortune. Um, he tells uh, the story of sending uh, Timothy 
to see them. And lastly, uh, he, correct, he, he, he answers their questions and corrects some, some moral difficulties um, uh, that, that have been arising in Thessalonica. Now, it's really interesting that these would be their questions um, about the second coming of Christ and about the, uh, uh, what happens to people after they die because they did some archaeology in Thessalonica. Okay? And they discovered uh, many gods, many priestesses, and they told us all about the religious practices of the, of the Thessalonians. And their inscriptions that they, that they wrote show that there was an ignorance about the survival of the soul after death. So something about their pre-Christian religion didn't address what happened after death. Okay, now, we, we talk about it all the time. It might seem kind of odd to you. But before Christianity, it really wasn't so clear. You can go through the Old Testament, for example, even, and you can see what did Old Testament people believe what happened after death. It's kind of murky. It's not entirely clear. So along comes Paul preaching second coming of Christ and preaching resurrection from the dead. And people are like, what is this? Tell us more about what happens after death. Okay? So what we're going to do... Um, well, let me just... Yeah, this is a good time to take a break. Why don't we take a snack break, okay?